He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And we have two very special guests with us today. Number one, later in the show, we'll hear from my former college coach, J.W. Vandenborn of the Kansas City Kangaroos. They just won the Summit League Championship. We'll talk to him about that. I'm sure Woody is excited to talk about some kangaroos uh, with J.W. Vandenborn. We'll talk about that and talk about their team and individual win in the Summit League Championship. And then we will be talking with the executive director of the Taylor Gooch Foundation. That's Kelsey Klein. Does a lot of managing for Taylor Gooch. Interesting perspective on the world of golf coming up in just a little bit, guys. And we have a ton of stuff. Quail Hollow, we got Rory coming back. We got a ton of stuff to get into, T-Dub. But I want to start with this. This was one of the biggest stories over the past few days. Joey LaCava, Tiger Woods' caddy, is moving to Patrick Cantlay's bag. And T-Dub, Maybe I'm reading too far into this, but this sounds like the beginning of the end of Tiger Woods' career to me. Um, obviously, Joey LaCava and Tiger did have you know, a solid career together, won the Masters back in 2019. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like great news for Tiger Woods fans out there. Maybe I'm reading too far into this, T-Dub. I don't think you are, Sam, at all. Whenever I heard it, that's the first thing that I thought of was, I mean, we know with, with Tiger's recent surgery that he's not going to play the rest of this year. And it came out that, uh, you know, you expect with Joey went over to, to Cantley's bag, you think, okay, well, maybe it's just for this tournament or maybe for, you know, a couple of other, the majors coming in since Tiger won't be playing in him. But that this is a, a long-term move. So essentially, I don't think we're going to see Bacava on Tiger's bag ever again. So then that poses the question of when will we see Tiger again? And who will be on the bag when that happens, Woody, because we've been used to over this last decade having Joe LaCava there ever since uh, Stevie Williams uh, left Tigers bag back in, what was that, 2010, 2011 range, something like that. So something we've been used to for a while, even though we haven't seen Tiger play as much over the last decade. But, but Woody, I mean, I, I agree with Sam. I do think that this is a clear sign that it's like, okay, before there was a, a decent chance of a comeback, and we at least all thought that. But whenever Tiger's team is starting to go other places, that's a sign to me that uh, Tiger's at least, uh, at, well, we all know he's at the end of his career but it's uh, maybe even more at the end than we even maybe us Tiger fans want it to be for sure. Oh, I, I think the right was on the wall. Just, just a simple fact how bad he's been hobbling. One thing you got to realize with this is it, how impressive it was, how little Tiger has played the last two years for sure. And still kept Joey LaCava on board and kept him around. Only a Tiger Woods could do that with a caddy of the magnitude of Joey LaCava. But I, I'm sure they both sat around one night, you know, one day, whatever it was, and said, you know what, uh, I'm not doing you any favor, Joey. You're still capable of caddying a bag and carrying a bag for a really good player. Um, you know, I, I'm sure with no animosity, I, I, there wasn't any more to the story than the simple fact that uh, I think you guys are right. We might 
have seen, we might see him a couple more times if we're lucky, but let's be honest, we got to hope he wants to play some senior golf, and if he doesn't, um, you know, that, that career is done. Yeah, and fellas, it kind of continues a trend that we've seen over the past couple of years of caddies that were caddying for these prominent players in professional golf, like a Ted Scott that was with Bubba moving to Scotty Scheffler, or Paul Tesori with Webb Simpson moving to Cam Young. We saw Adam Hayes uh, go from Russell Henley to John Rahm. We saw Joe Scoverin, uh, you know, go from Ricky to Tom Kim. We saw Bones McKay go from Phil to Justin Thomas. I mean, it's kind of a trend that we've seen. Um, and Woody might speak to that if that was the case back in the day that these caddies kind of did that to, uh, you know, stay relevant. But it, it has, like Woody alluded to, T-Dub, been impressive since 2016, Joe LaCava, you know, has stood by very patiently with Tiger Woods through injury, and obviously Tiger did have a fixed salary with Joey LaCava, um, but I am happy for him in the fact that he is going to a great bag, and Patrick Cantlay has moved on, uh, you know, to bigger and better things after, you know, going through all of the ups and downs of being with Tiger over the past couple of years. Uh, now I am, you know, sad for him that he has to watch Patrick Cantlay play golf every round now. That That is a downside to all the big checks he's going to be making with Patrick Cantlay. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see T-Dub over the next couple of years if there's any other caddies that kind of move from older bags to younger bags. But man, I mean, I feel like, you know, now Cantlay, Scotty, Cam Young, John Rom, Tom Kim, and Justin Thomas all have new caddies that are, uh, you know, big caddy names in the game of golf. Well, what has shown is that the caddy is so has such an utmost importance that not many really people talk about, right? I mean, like Ted Scott and uh, Scotty Sheffield have gotten so much notoriety, but uh, whenever Phil and Bones went through their, their squabble or whatever, Bones just leaves and goes down some announcing for a little bit. Then all of a sudden he goes over to JT's bag, and now uh, you have uh, Webb Simpson's caddy going over to a uh, caddy for Cam Young. So, it's, so yeah, this is definitely a trend that's going to uh, keep going on as time goes on. And, and Woody, from you playing on the professional tour, you can attest to this. I mean, what is a price that you can put on a good caddy? I mean, if you can get a top 10 caddy that's on the PJ Tour, I feel like that puts you at a, I mean, I don't know if it's a, it's, I don't think it's a shot around advantage or anything like that, but over the course of a full season, it's definitely going to add up to, uh, to multiple higher place finishes. For sure. And th- this is when I date myself. In the 90s, early 90s, guys, there was just a handful of caddies that you really looked at and went, boy, this guy's special. Most of us just had a, some guy that was a buddy and we worked our way around the golf course. They weren't near as involved. I'll just tell you that. They were not near as involved as these guys are now. Where it is a difference, I think, T-Dub, is in a big event, we'll call majors, or now these elevated events where there's a lot of money or there's a lot of prestige on the line, that caddy can do wonders with a player that might have not taking that final step to get over the hurdle, so to speak. So, yes, it is shot around. That's probably it. That's just throwing it out there. But it's not so much a shot around. It's where they come in when that player needs them the most. And that's majors and the elevated events. So, yeah, there's still a group of caddies that are better than the others. But there's probably really not that many bad caddies on the PGA Tour now because I just don't think those guys will take the chance with one that, you know, has a tendency to maybe party too much or or just doesn't show up or whatever, you know. But that back in our day, we'd see that all the time. Guy would go out and twist and nobody be there when the pros getting ready to tee off. So, 
I know that sounds crazy, but we saw it on more than one occasion. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we've even heard different quotes, uh, you know, recently about caddies, and, and we heard the anonymous live caddy that said it's, quote, effing great uh, on the live tour. It's, they said, quote, for the first time in my career, caddies are treated like people. I think that, uh, you know, even on the PGA Tour now, ever since this competition, even caddies are getting compensated more, uh, you know, in professional golf and we've seen like I just said all of these caddies and and Woody alluded to the fact that these caddies are much more involved and can help a younger guy we already saw Cam Young have the success after Paul Tesori goes on his bag and and Ted Scott helping out Scotty Scheffler T-Dub I think there's a lot of validity to all of this 100% there is and that's why this is going to be something that I keep being a a goal or a trend going forward and you're going to see it with uh with these young amateurs coming out right you're going to have some 19 20 year old who just Light the world on fire, and he's going to get a, a really good caddy to be able to come over to him as well. So, no, this isn't the last time this is going to happen. It's just, uh, it may be the last time that the change like this happens to the best player of all time because I feel like whoever does caddy for Tiger going forward, it's not like they're going to leave someone else. Like, like, uh, LaCava was with Fred Couples for numerous years, it was actually on the bag when he won the 92 Masters. And so, I feel like for anyone going over the Tiger, everyone won a caddy on Tiger's bag, but you're not going to see someone leave a, a young and promising 24 year old in my opinion, to go caddy for Tiger, unless there's a some sort of dispute between the two of them. So, no, this isn't the last time we're going to see a caddy change like this and have any type of, of impact, but it, it is probably the last time we're going to see a, a caddy leave the best player of all time to go to another one. Hey, Sam, on that also, that what you were just talking about, there's big money now in the caddying business. That, that, that wasn't true when I played. There wasn't even big money for the players. Right. Okay, so let alone the caddy. So, you know, when Joey LaCava left Fred Couples, he did it because Fred was kind of winding down. Fred was on the champions tour, and he was winding down. So all these guys, it's just that's how it works. Uh, their schedule starts getting fewer and fewer. But you think about now, like we were talking to TG, and he probably paid Mel – uh, what four hundred thousand for both those wins? Ten percent of four million. Yeah, Mal probably so, made upwards of a million dollars. Hello, you know what? I would have given a playing been a caddy for a million dollars a year. <laughs> the hell was playing. That's right. I don't think that's right. Me too. I'll just carry that bag around and and talk talk story and get him loose. So there's this, everything about golf, guys. Everything about golf is. So much different than it was 25 years ago. It's just changing. This is what it is, period. Hey, there's no doubt about that. I think everything in the world of golf is changing, and I think a lot of it is changing for the better. Uh, we talked about Bones Mackay, and this is really my only transition here into this Phil Mickelson, Colt Nose, Twitter Fingers battle, T-Dub. Uh, if you haven't seen this, you can go to uh, Colt Nost, at Colt Nost, or at Phil Mickelson's uh, Twitters and go to their tweets and replies and, and read through this conversation that we have. We won't read through all of it, um, but basically it started off by Colt Nost saying, serious question, y'all are so upset about the OWGR. If you knew the criteria when you're starting a tour, why wouldn't you just meet it? And Phil Mickelson responded and said, Colt, it is not our job. It is the OWGR's job to rank all of the players in the world. Maybe they can do their job, all caps, and figure it out like they do for multiple tours with hundreds of players not even close to as good. But that would hurt the PGA's revenue from CBS so the leaders won't. And then 
Colt went on to say, respectfully, why did you never lobby for WR points from the start? Why did you not argue for points when you played on the PGA Tour champions? And Phil responded and said, quote, respectfully, I don't need OWGR points, nor do I care about them for myself. I'm in three majors for the next 13 plus years and all four majors through 2025. It's about doing what's right and calling out the collusion that's taking place behind closed doors to help Jay Monahan get all his TV money. T-Dub, pretty strong words from Phil Mickelson, kind of uh, saying the the quiet part out loud. I, I And this time it makes him look really good and makes Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour look really bad, T-Dub. What were your thoughts on this little back and forth between Colt Nost and Phil Mickelson? I feel like that after watching this, that uh, they've been listening to our show for the last nine months because they've been saying the exact same damn things that we have. I mean, it's it's crazy just how now all of a sudden, for whatever reason, now that live for, I guess because it's getting less haters now and so more people are realizing how big of a joke the OWGR is, that, that this is happening. And, uh, I mean, I, I think Phil's, I mean, he's just dead on on this. I mean, it is. It, it is the PJ Tour's revenue is totally tied to how many guys in the top, how many ever on the OWGR are playing their events, and that's how whenever their TV contract ends in what 2029, 2030, something like that, that that's where the negotiations will come onto the table, and that's why they don't want Live to have the world ranking points because if they can have all the top 50 players in the world, then then that's better for them. But if Live did get world ranking points, they'd be missing probably 10 guys, if not more than that, from the top 50 uh, by that point. So yeah, it's uh. It's totally related to to the money, Woody. I think we've all known this for some time. It's uh, but it is nice that uh, that that Phil and we have a, a platform like Twitter to where Phil can go back against someone like Colt Nose. And it's interesting that uh, that Colt Nose would actually ask this question, Woody. I feel like that that's what, what's so interesting about it is that I mean, okay, so yeah, you want to try to change your criteria to make it happen. Well, we have we have how many ever the best players in the world? Shouldn't that be enough, right? I mean, we're not just playing eighteen hole scramble here. We're actually playing somewhat of a competition. Here's the thing, and I'm glad Phil's finally starting to talk again because he took such a beating, gentlemen, let's be honest. But he, he was never off base. What he was saying all along was true. But it's like our society right now. We have individuals that are in very high places that will stand at a podium and lie. They'll just lie. They, they will flat-ass say a lie. And nobody will check them for it because the media is all on one side. Well, that's what we have with this live PGA Tour, gentlemen. You guys know that, right? We've seen it. We're the only podcast or the only group of individuals that is real, that is says this is what's really going on. We're not covered up by some other media saying, oh, you can't say that, you can't say that. And we've been honest, gentlemen. We've said things about Lib that aren't good. We've said things about the PGA Tour that aren't good. But what we've reported is honesty. Well, that's a that's a fading trait in a world we live in right now. Honesty. <laughs> you would think that would be the most important thing with media is tell the truth. Tell the truth. Tell what's really going on. We don't see that. And we're starting to see it a little bit more. But until... You guys hit the nail on the head. Until the PGA Tour is not going to be hurt monetarily, 
they are not going to come on board with anybody else. They're going to bash and bash and bash. And good for them that they've got all the media behind them because that's how they can keep this going. They can keep this family going against Liv. But people aren't stupid, gentlemen. People are not stupid. They can see this. They can see right through this, that it's bogus. It's been bogus. And the more we keep talking on our podcast and other podcasts and give like Taylor Gooch a, a, a place to, to voice and to speak, we can make a change. Gentlemen, I truly believe that Taylor Gooch got in the PGA because of our podcast. I really do believe that. And I might be crazy, well, and to I, be honest with you. And I don't think it was because of our podcast. I think we just gave him the platform to speak his mind, right? Which a well, lot of people aren't saying. doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Sam. We've got to be able to give these guys a place that they can speak and not feel like they're just going to get ripped. You know what I mean? Exactly. Have their ability to to say what is true, just like Charles Powell did for it. Like, they're not they're not throwing out lies. They're telling you what's really going on. But people got their heads in the sand, wanting to believe everything the PGA Tour is fact. It's not okay. And and I mean, people would have to have their heads in the sand to not realize the lies that are being told, especially through right now the USGA and the PGA Tour. I mean, let's get into the next subject that we're going to talk about. I mean, that's Mike Wan coming out and saying, quote, we're not going to change our criteria to let Taylor Gooch in the U.S. Open. He said, quote, I hope Gooch gets in, but we're not going to change our criteria, and I'm not concerned about the quality of the field at the U.S. Open. Um, guys, this is obviously ridiculous because let me remind you that the USGA will not change the criteria to let Taylor play, but we're very happy to change the criteria to exclude Taylor from playing. To me, this is a massive black eye on the U.S. Open and the USGA, but that's not even my point. My point here, guys, that I want to dive into for a second is just ask yourself, why are they fighting against having a top player in the world in their field. Who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit the U.S. Open. It doesn't benefit the USGA. It doesn't benefit the players. We heard Taylor Gooch come out on Twitter last night and say it's time we start asking, he said, to ask the top 60 players in the world whether he should be eligible to play in the U.S. Open. He said, obviously, if that was the case, I would be in the U.S. Open. Whether it's PGA Tour players or live players, all of them would say that Taylor should be in the U.S. Open. So it's not benefiting strength of field like Mike Wan said he's not worried about. So who is it benefiting? It's benefiting Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour. And why, T-Dub, in your mind, are the USGA taking up for the PGA Tour's mistakes over the last years? Well, there, there's zero way that you could look at them changing this criteria and say that it's not for the PGA Tour because how it's labeled now is, is that all you got to do and what TG thought, well, it should be, was you qualify for the church championship by your merit of play, then you're good. But now they changed the criteria that those who qualified and were eligible. So what is the reason that you would not be eligible for the PJ Tour championship? There's only one explanation besides if you had some positive drug test happen a week before the tournament or something, you got suspended. What's the odds of that happening are not very high. So, I mean, I don't. They changed the criteria for one reason only, and it was for the lip players who want to leave the PJ Tour early 
and uh, if they were in the middle of their season, and then not be able to, to play in the majors after that, Woody. I mean, there, there's no other reason that they would change that rule. Am I wrong on that? Can, I cannot think of one other logical reason why they would have made that change before the season. Oh, this picture is so clear. It's stupid. And, and I know what they all come back with, because I hear it. They, all, these, uh, all these critics of Liv come back and say, oh, they knew what they were getting into when they left. Now, wait a minute. They didn't know they were going to change rules in the middle of the game, okay? And that's why we sound like we're really fighting for the live. What we're fighting for is the right thing to do. And if you tell me Taylor Gooch does not need to be in the U.S. Open, you are drinking the Kool-Aid. You're just believing all this spewing out there. If you tell me Taylor Gooch doesn't need to be in the U.S. Open, I'm sorry, guys. I just can't handle that. Well, and then we heard Phil Mickelson go back to Twitter. By the way, the way the Colt knows Phil Mickelson battle ended on Twitter was Colt asking Phil to come on his podcast and Phil saying, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'll stick to yeah, Twitter and uh, basically saying, I'm not going to let you profit off uh, my fame. Uh, but anyways, Phil Mickelson went back to Twitter after Mike Wan's comments. Uh, Mike Wan, obviously the head of the USGA. And Phil goes on to say, Quote, Mike Wan recently changed the wording from, quote, qualified for the Tour Championship to, quote, eligible for the Tour Championship, thereby taking away Gooch's exemption since he wasn't eligible to play even though he had qualified for the Tour Championship. This doesn't make the U.S. Open better in any way, but does help collude with the tour. Pretty strong words again from Phil Mickelson. Uh, T-Dub, what are your thoughts on that? Well, what's crazy about it is, is that they could have easily changed the rule if they were going to change it to not, not only did you have to qualify for the church championship, but you had to play in the church championship. If they had done that, I would have been halfway understanding. But then at that point there, they would say, oh, well, someone like Will Zalatoris who gets hurt the, the week before, oh, well, then he should do it. So the, the fact that they changed it to not just to have to play in the tournament, but to be eligible for the tournament is clear evidence as to why they made the rules. Anyone who can't see that, I mean, I, I'm really not sure how to get around that. And what's crazy is that I keep scrolling through Twitter, social media, Sam, and everyone is everyone keeps saying, why do you think Taylor Gooch needs a special exemption in this tournament? Why do you think he deserves one? Just because he lives twice on live? That is not what happened. I don't understand how people are so confused by what is going on. Had they had the exact same criteria in 2022 U.S. Open, Gooch would be in the field currently, and there would not be any debate on it. That's what... I don't understand how the media has made it change so much to where they think that we're trying to give him a special exemption. He's playing No, he earned it, and the criteria was the same as it's been for the last how many ever years he would have been in. They just decided to change it, and the fact they changed it from not eligible to play instead of you didn't just play in the church championship is clear evidence as to why they did That's what we're doing with the media as far as golf goes, gentlemen. They're going to tell everybody out there, and, and T-Dub, I wish people were smarter. I really do. But there's so many people that believe everything that comes out of the PGA headquarters, everything, okay? So it's up to us and people like us to keep putting it out there. Now, when we're at the live, we need to try to get Dustin Johnson or Phil Mickelson on our podcast. Wouldn't that be special? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, thank you to Live. We are going to have full access at the Live Tulsa event that's coming up May 12th through the 14th. Uh, the last thing uh, that people out there might have a question on that Taylor Gooch cleared up last night, our friends at the Flushing It podcast asked Taylor this question. He said, uh, if you don't qualify for the U.S. Open via the PGA Championship, will you do sectional qualifying, TG? 
And Taylor responded on Twitter and said, nope, they obviously don't want me to play or they wouldn't have altered the criteria to relinquish my best chance of playing. Better question, how many of the current top 60 OWGR believe I shouldn't be in the field? When do we ask the players instead of the amateur organizations, T-Dub? Strong words from TG right there as well. Yeah, that, that's very, very insightful, that knowing that if for, for whatever reason, if he's not able to play, I don't know exactly what finish he would need at the PJ Championship to get inside the top 50 or 60, whatever it is for, for the U.S. Open. It's uh, I don't think that it's clear that he, he understands that. And he knows that if I'm not going to get in, I'm not going to go to damn sectional qualifying. I'm not going to be your little guinea pig on this little situation. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, guys, I mean, it's, it's just a clear joke. And um, I, I hate it for TG is, is what really sucks because, uh, I I mean, he's such a great kid and such a great – I mean, a good friend of ours that I played – you know, we played numerous golf with me and Sam did, especially growing up. And, uh, I mean, it's for having a good guy like that who did earn his way onto that. It's just – it's sad to see – in all honesty, and uh, hopefully, th- hopefully the play works itself out. Hopefully, the uh, the ball don't lie type situation, and he can finish high enough for the PJ Championship to get in anyway, because it's what's right for the game of golf. It's just what's morally right in general. I mean, changing rules to make sure someone who leaves doesn't get in, and it. And the thing about it too, guys, it just literally screwed one player out, out of everyone in the world. It screwed one player, and this yeah. happened to be TG. So uh, the fact that they they did that and then not going really back on it, especially after all this backlash. It's honestly pretty sad for me from the USGA. I'm, I'm a little – I was pretty high on Mike Warren when we first got this uh, position at the USGA. But now, after all this, I, I'm a little more down on him than I was before, especially once you had the distance stuff and all that into it. Yeah, Mike Warren's moved down a few ticks on my, on my ranking board, unfortunately. Well, and this year, it screwed one player. But they're basically making an example out of Taylor Gooch to all the young players coming out of college saying, if you go from the PGA Tour to live – you're not going to get into major championships, or at least not the U.S. Open. At least, by the way, the RNA that runs the British Open, guys, they did not change the exact wording that said if you qualify for the Tour Championship, you are in the British Open. They did not put the eligible in there. So don't listen to the USGA when they act like they had to change the rule to eligible. The rule is still the exact same for the British Open. Taylor Gooch will be in the British Open, guys. So we can talk a lot more about that over the coming weeks, uh, but that news did break last night. We got to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Definitely go make sure to hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and we'll give you a notification when we drop new episodes and great episodes coming up with Live Tulsa. We have the Corn Ferry event at Jimmy Austin. We have regionals at Jimmy Austin all coming up that we will be covering. So you're not going to want to miss it here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. Join the hype. Live Golf is coming to Tulsa at Cedar Ridge Country Club, May 12th through the 14th. See the top players who include DJ, Taylor Gooch, Bill Mickelson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau. Battling it out. This is high stakes golf with a whole new vibe and a whole new energy. Rally your squad now and see the big names with big swings compete in this new global league. Tickets are selling fast. Get yours now at livegolf.com. That's LIVGolf.com. And we are back. 
back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job up in Tulsa covering college golf this time of year. And speaking of college golf, we have a very special guest. We have, guys, my head coach from college, J.W. Vandenborn of the Kansas City kangaroos and coach you guys are coming off the summit league championship where you not only won as a team but josh robards won individually as well looked like a very tough weather week up in nebraska wilderness ridge just take me through that week and what that experience was like i was fortunate enough to win what three conference championships while i was there with you coach and there's nothing like winning conference championships and i'm sure you guys are over the moon about it right yeah no it's just uh, there's no other week like it i think in uh in college golf um you see everything going on at the same time if you're a golf staff man you're you know, you're on golf that watching all the conversations unfold. But yeah, I mean, you know, the golf course was, was great. Um, I don't think we ever really saw it um, just in its kind of raw form. But the, the wind was uh, unbelievably strong this week. We're talking, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour from practice round through the majority of second round. And it, it kind of pushed that way a little bit in a few little spots yesterday, too. But um yeah, a little bit different. Just a very defensive type goal. Uh, just trying to turn uh, double bogeys into bogeys and bogeys into pars and things like that. And uh, so it was just one of those weeks where you had to be extremely patient. Uh, we had to have a you know a, a good plan and kind of stick to that plan. And and uh, yeah, I, I don't really fully understand what happened yesterday uh, with everything that went on on the golf course. Um, still kind of in a little bit of disbelief that uh you know seven shots in that type of weather where it's going to bunch up the field is uh is a lot to overcome and our guys just believed in kind of our process and, and the plan that we put out there for yesterday and and our first couple guys went out there and really kind of set the tone for us and um you know the guys just kind of followed suit and get to the 18th fairway and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're in a position where we're leading the golf tournament. So, uh, yeah, it was a great, great week for us. Um, great week for our guys all around. Um, you know, just to kind of have that patience and understand that score really didn't necessarily matter. Uh, we just had to beat people. Uh, that's kind of what we talked about all week. And then we walk off as a conference champion. Like I said, I'm still just kind of trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. Coach, we had uh, Ryan Hibble on just a couple of days ago who won a conference championship last week at Prairie Dunes, and I asked him, you know, what did you see in the growth in your team that led up to the conference championship? So I'll ask you the same question. What did you see from your team maybe the weeks leading up to conference that maybe gave you a little bit of insight saying, you know what, we could go out and win the Sun of a Buck? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you look at our program over the last couple of years with some of the things that have happened, um, you know, we've kind of been trying to rebuild from really a, a major threat to our program um, with COVID and kind of the landscape of college athletics. And so, uh, but, you know, getting through the fall, we, you know, we showed a few little signs there, but never put a tournament together. Uh, and then we came out this spring in the first three or four events, we top five to all of them. Um, we played against some good fields. And so, but we never really played well. And I think probably the biggest area of growth I saw was just our ability to kind of find a way to, to get something done or kind of find a way to shoot a score uh, without our best stuff. You know, guys, the guys this week that weren't striking the ball particularly well, even, you know, outside of the wind conditions and things like that. And 
Luka Dutar was certainly one of those guys yesterday and just just kind of scrapped it around um, for 18 holes and shoots even par uh, in the conditions yesterday. So I would say wasn't probably more physical growth on our part, uh, but probably more mental uh, growth on our part in terms of just mental toughness and being able to deal with deal with the adversity of the season. And so, and we played our schedule that way too. We played the last several events in the kind of the Midwest and knew we had a chance to get some you know poor weather, but we knew we were playing in Nebraska too. And so. I think that kind of fed into what uh, we experienced this week. We had dealt with significant wind and very difficult golf course at Ohio State, you know, and we had dealt with some uh, a little bit of adverse weather at Iowa too, uh, you know. So we kind of knew that was going to help us a little bit. But I would say their, you know, their ability to handle adversity and, and their mental fortitude, I think, at the end of the day, was probably the area where we saw the biggest growth in our team this year. Coach, I made fun of Sam when he told me when he went to college, he said our logo was the fighting kangaroos. <laughs> and I, I, I did. I called Bull on it. I said, you were what? And, and he had to send me pictures of your logos and everything else. So I said, man, what a cool name for a team, a fighting kangaroos. But isn't it kind of ironic that here you are winning this conference championship and the individual that won it was from Australia. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yes, Josh. So that so what I what I'm going to ask you, and I believe this as a coach, it's probably pretty hard to take a kid from Australia and teach him how to play golf in Nebraska or Kansas City, for that matter. So obviously, you have got these young men focused on what you just said. Hey, guys, you got to gut it out. You got to figure out how to play in these adverse conditions. How do you do that? I mean, I would think that would be so difficult to take a young man that's from Australia and teach him how to play in 40, 50 mile an hour winds in Nebraska. Yeah, I would say probably there's a there's a little bit less of, of a focus on that. I think, you know, they do deal with a decent amount of wind uh, there where he's from in Australia. And the ground conditions are so firm. And I, I said this yesterday in one of the interviews that I gave with some of stuff like that, Josh. I think in some of the players from that area, especially Josh, uh, probably an outlier in that regard, is so creative with what he does with his golf ball. He flies his driver three different trajectories. And he can probably stand up on a tee and comfortably hit that hit driver four different distances. And um, He's got a lot of different shots and a lot of different flights. Uh, and he can shape the ball. He'll be just really creative with his mind and his hands, too. And so that undoubtedly gave him an advantage uh, over – the majority of the field, I think, the first two days for sure. Um, but uh, as far as teaching them, just I think this time of year and doing that too is just understanding kind of like we get caught up. These guys get caught up in this day and age of technology and instruction, and we're trying to be so perfect with golf, and you just don't have to get perfect golf shots. And I think understanding what a good golf shot is and understanding what position relative to the pin and the target is, um, you know, where you want your golf ball to finish. It's not about what you see on TV every week with guys stuffing it to eight and six and 10 feet all day long. Um, you know, it's just about getting your golf ball in the position where you can, you have a chance to make a score, a positive score, but you know, you're the chances of you making a negative score for your team are very, very small. And so I think that's just what we have really tried to drill into our guys is, just position on the golf course, position on the greens relative to the pin or around the greens. And sometimes that might not be on the green, um, especially in the wind and the weather that we played this week. So just understanding where those positions are and trying to get them to play to that, which is somewhat difficult to do because obviously like 
you all know, like you know, junior golf and high school golf and even college golf, there's a lot of weeks where you're just, you know, dead aiming green light pins all the time on soft greens. Um, and so I think that that will certainly help us going forward because obviously the golf course is going to play in the next couple of weeks are going to be more difficult and the setups are going to be more difficult too. But I think it's probably more about that than anything else, in my opinion. Coach, when I was in school with you, it, we were in the WAC, and now you're in the Summit League. Um, have there been any challenges with that transition over to the Summit League? I know in golf it's it's different. You don't obviously play against teams only in your conference. You kind of play around the country all year in the regular season anyways, but just as far as you know, winning this Summit League championship for the first time, it really, I guess we were in the Summit League, then went to the WAC, then back to the Summit League, and that's my first question about it and then obviously you have ties to ORU uh you you took down that old school for you and and so what different things were you thinking about throughout this week being in a different conference championship yeah I think uh you know obviously the transitional part of it I think for golf is probably more easy from a competitive standpoint than other sports right like like you said you're not playing against your conference schools you're not playing against the conference schedule you see some of those themes throughout the regular season and you get an idea of, of who they are and how good they are. Um, yeah, I think the challenges for us in winning this conference championship were made way more related to UMKC and our program. And, and you obviously, you know, we've had a number of conversations, uh, you know, about what's transpired over the last few years with our program. Yeah, and Coach, and, I mean, for our I, listeners, it, it, expand on that because I, I feel like it's it's a bigger deal than even you're letting on right now. I mean, during COVID, basically the whole program shut down and you basically had to restart from from scratch, right? I mean, expand on that. Yeah, that that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you, you know me, I'm not an excuse guy, right? So, uh, but yeah, we 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 went through the, you know, the, the Benigan parts of COVID. Um, you know, we've moved into that fall of 20 where a lot of teams didn't play a schedule and we didn't either. Um, you know, a lot of teams around the country just didn't play that fall of 20. And then we got to the end of fall of 20, the end of October, and the school told us we were done. Uh, the program was being discontinued. Um, you know, I was being let go. Uh, as the golf coach and, and possibly moved into a different position in the athletic department. And so, you know, we had, we had a team of eight, eight guys, six of those guys were seniors, uh, you know, and so we're trying to, you know, figure out what's best for them in that period of time, you know, individually and, and try to take care of them. And, uh, and then we just got to the point where we're like, listen, let's, we're going to do everything we can to try to make this work for our seniors just for their spring season. Right. Just, we're going to go out, raise money, raise resources, support, and try to get their spring season back at a minimum, right? They're going to let the program go, like let these guys play their last semester, and then we'll go our separate ways. And we were able to do that through, you know, a number of our relationships and our great support that we have in the program here in Kansas City and, and really throughout the country now. Um, and uh, so program shut down in 20. Uh, we bring it back in 21. Um, and then obviously, as you can imagine, recruiting becomes very difficult at that time, you know, when people are trying to figure out, you know, they just shut your program down. I'm going to come spend four years there. You know, am I going to get through my four years, uh, without that happening to me? And so that became very difficult. And we were lucky enough to find some guys that believed in kind of what we were trying to do and trusted 
kind of my, you know, read in terms of where we were with the program. And you go through last year and had a really abysmal year, just trying to adjust to some of that stuff and, and trying to get feet back on the ground with the program from a resource standpoint, from a budget standpoint, where we could go play and who we could go play against. And as you know, when you were there, our schedule was very, very strong. And then all of a sudden you drop from a, you know, top 70 school or 80 school to, you know, 160, uh, and you just don't get invited to some of those things anymore. So just everything kind of plays off itself, the recruiting and the scheduling and, you know, the stability of the program. And and then, like I said, just, just to get back here, I mean, I think, you know, like, uh, you know me, I'm pushing very hard for us to succeed in every moment. But having a lot of people telling me, like, hey, like, look what you've done to this point. You know, you've done a great job to this point. It's just like, and then obviously – to win yesterday is, um, you know, just really unbelievable. And like, like I said, get back to the Summit League stuff. Yeah, I went to school at ORU. Obviously, you and I, Sam, both have, you know, strong ties to the Tulsa golf scene and stuff like that, too. And, and yeah, it's, it's a huge rivalry for me personally, right? Um, you know, I want to beat them every time I see them. And I'm, I'm sure Lance, you know, over there wants to beat us every time he sees us, too. We have a great relationship, and but we're both extremely competitive. And so I really felt like they were the best team going in, uh, kind of with their roster and some of the transfers they brought in. And, uh, you know, they're a very strong team and had a really good year, um, in my opinion. And then it just, you know, the conditions equalized things. And, you know, we were somehow able yesterday to kind of withstand a run by them because they got off to a great start. And, um, you know, I don't think we really took the lead until the 14th or 15th hole. And we just played the last two holes just – I mean, better than I think anybody would have ever expected um, there. And that's really where we won the tournament. So, no, Coach, it's uh, it's currently about 10 o'clock uh, Central Time currently. And uh, in about two hours, you guys will figure out uh, exactly where you guys are going for regionals on these selection shows. So just kind of let us know what you're looking forward to that and what do you expect in your team going into regionals? I think, obviously, it's uh, right now it's about getting our feet back under us. I think it was an emotional week. And um, I know I was exhausted last night just from being out and battered by the conditions all week. And uh, But, yeah, we'll see where we go. I mean, likely, the you know, a common sense tells you we'll, we'll likely end up here somewhere close to home. Um, and so, Which would be Norman, you know, we, possibly, right? Right, right. And so if we end up there, we've been there before. Uh, you know, we know what that looks like. Um, you know, I obviously recruit fairly heavily in that area too. So I, I, I've spent a lot of time in that area, obviously with the transition of, of the course there and, and what, what, what you've been able to do with the, the facility there. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think my preference would be to be there just because we have some familiarity with it. We've seen it in regional conditions. Um, but, you know, I, I think at this time of year, and certainly with, with where we came from, and we're just happy to be in. and We'll, we'll go play wherever they tell us to go. So um, I think that resilience that we showed this week, I think kind of the resilience that we've showed over the course of the spring will, will you know, bode well for us. And I think the last time we were in Norman, you know, through 27 holes of the 54 holes, I think we were like in fifth or sixth. Um, so we were kind of right on the cut line there. So we have some positive history there too. Um, you know, and so we'll be excited to go wherever we go. Um, I think it's just about getting the guys kind of rested up and and kind of feet back under them, and then uh, we'll see where we go today, and then uh, we'll start kind of putting a, kind of putting plans together for that about how we approach our practice and training going forward, and and get a sense of the golf course if you know if we don't know as much about it as we might know uh, about the course of Norman there. So, well, Coach Sam speaks so highly of you. And- 
I, I, I truly believe in golf. Good things happen to good people. And I think the golf gods looked out for you because you, it sounds like you had to do, you had to jump through all kinds of hoops just to save this program. So kudos to you. I don't really have a question. I have a request because Sam's been promising me one of these uh, <laughs> fighting kangaroo sweatshirts <laughs> and stuff like that. So before I get off, I want you to make sure I got an address and a, I can write you a check because I'm still waiting for my fighting kangaroos sweatshirt. So I need to make sure you leave him something where I can get one of those. Okay. Can you do that for me? Cause I can't trust Sam. Yeah, well, it's not a lack of, not for a lack of trying on Sam's part. Cause we talked about it earlier this winter. Uh, we just, I don't think we had really anything in stuff that would, that would work for that at that point, but we will absolutely, absolutely make sure that we get you guys taken care of. So, yeah. What thank, he, thank you, Coach. Woody, yeah, Woody always you. loves loves the kangaroo. And, and, and Coach, to kind of wrap this up here, um, one of the things that stood out to me, and for anybody that doesn't know, and I guess no one would know, every single night Coach has a team meeting at these tournaments. So we get off the course, we go straight to dinner, do a little homework or whatever, and then go straight to a team meeting. Um, and those are some of you know my best memories from college, but it's also where I learned a lot in college. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, Coach, in those conference championship, especially team meetings, is you, you really ingrained in us that it's three different tournaments. Just win the tournament today. Uh, did you still use that same philosophy with this team? Yeah, absolutely. I think the same message. I mean, it's just very simple. Uh, it doesn't, you know, we, we talked a lot about um, that very notion. You know, it was it was three in whole tournaments, and so we talked about the night before the tournament. Uh, we were fortunate enough to kind of withstand the conditions and win the first tournament. Uh, and you know, we talked about that a lot in the second night going into that, um, just to kind of simplify things and really kind of hammered home the message that none of the days would affect any other day positively or negatively from the practice round, the first round through the third round. Um, they were all just different days. We had to have a different outlook on each one of them. Uh, and that's really what we hammered home. And I think, you know, going into the final round, uh, you know, we just talked about like, guys, listen, you know, we stumbled in the second round. Um, you know, we lost some ground. We've got, you know, a, a decent deficit, you know, seven shots isn't a lot in golf, but it is a lot too. Um, you know, I think in my opinion, it's kind of, we would have preferred to be a little bit closer to the lead going into the third round. But, um, yeah, we talked a lot about like, this is why you play golf, right? Like if you're a competitor, you started playing golf to compete. Um, let's go have fun and compete. And, uh, we talked to the guys about, you know, every one of us is going to be called upon today to get a golf shot in a certain situation. And we're going to have to answer that call. Uh, and they certainly did that. So, yeah, we just, I think what you're alluding to is we just simplify the message at that time of year, right? So I think people get wrapped up in score. It's so little about score, right? It doesn't, I mean, look, we shot 33 over for three rounds, right? That's not a great score. Um, but we beat everybody, and that's all we had to do. Um, and so I think that was, has always really been the message is just, just go out and, and, and win. It doesn't matter if we shoot, you know, 10 under or 10 over. Um, if we if we win each day, uh, we're going to win the tournament, right? And so... And this week in that scenario, we went two and one and, you know, our, our margins were enough for us to win the tournament. So, yeah, it's always been that message. It'll always be that message. I think this time of year, you know, if, in my opinion, if you're doing things right, you're putting a lot of pressure on your team in the regular season and you experience that here too. Uh, and then when you get to the postseason uh, in these situations, we're going to take some pressure off and try to simplify things. 
Uh, so I think just trying to trying to do too much and trying to, to think about too much at this time of year is probably to everybody's detriment. And I think most college coaches would, would tell you the same thing. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time today. Go tell not only, you know, Max and Thomas, but tell Josh congratulations especially and, and give a shout-out to uh, to Jack as well, your assistant coach now. My former teammate is your assistant yeah, coach, exactly. so give a shout-out to Jack Hermiston as well, Coach. Uh, thank you for joining us on the 73rd hole today. Yeah, guys, thanks. Really big fan of your work and uh, certainly look forward to listening to you guys go forward. Uh, great work for for golf, not only in Oklahoma, but just around the country, especially with college golf. It's just been awesome to see some of the things you guys have been doing. And so keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, hopefully it's very soon down in Norman. We'll find out later today. That's J.W. Vandenborn, head coach of the Kansas City Kangaroos, right here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd hole. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. back here on the other side of the break on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma and we are now joined by one of our longtime guests i I mean this guy kelsey klein was on the podcast before i was ever even on the podcast he was a guest with colby powell and, and taylor williams back in the day when they first started the 73rd hole and now we are joined by him again and he is the executive director of the taylor gooch foundation now and kelsey what's up i I hope you're doing great it's good to talk Uh, guys i appreciate you having me on um just preparing for next week over in tulsa obviously we're having our foundation uh pro-am event sunday night and monday and fortunately lives allowing us to do it at cedar ridge um so, you know, our, our people who are coming to support the foundation are going to get to play the golf course Monday morning with all the build out and all the, all the lights on, if you will. And um, hopefully we, uh, we don't have anybody get too nervous, but we're sure looking forward to it. And the people who have supported us and that will, we're, we're very thankful. So um, coming off of obviously a couple of late nights for myself, you know, being in my mid forties now and I have two kids. So I stayed up two nights in a row to, you know, two thirty or three in the morning because of the time change. Watching Taylor and, of course, get two victories in a row. So I'm I'm trying to catch up. You you two are too young to know about that, but uh, <laughs> some of your listeners know about that. So my my schedule has been thrown off. But hey, it was well worth it. Now, Kelsey, before before I get to asking my question, you mentioned uh, before the show you had some uh, guys you want to shout out. Go ahead and do that. You know, I do. You know, thinking about coming on with you guys and 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 how much golf has blessed me with you know, relationships and, and true friendships. I want to give a tip of the cap to a few people. 
that are doing great thing in the great things in the world of golf, whether it be high school, college, you know, uh, teaching, whether it may be, um, you know, that kind of thing. So one is a close friend of mine, Dallas Wingington, who is a, a teacher and now the head men's golf coach at Edmond Santa Fe, his first year, they just qualified for state Dallas texted me last summer and, He's a, an accountant controller type, and he said, "Hey, you know, I'm just I'm just not where I want to be, and I think I'm going to apply to to be a teacher and the golf coach at Evan Santa Fe." And I I sent him a text back, and I said, "You know, respectfully, and I wanted to come out right. I said, you want to be a teacher at a, at Edmond Santa Fe, and you've never done this in 2023.'" And he said, "Yeah," and he's absolutely loved it. Um, I followed his 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 progress with the team and qualifying for state in his first year. Uh, obviously is a great thing for him and for the team. So I want to give a shout out to Dallas Wigington. Also to uh, coach Josh Gorsney over at uh, OCU, the the women's coach. You know, we all know how, how great their program has been. Um, starting back with, you know, MJ uh, Shaw, now Shaw that played at OU, who was the coach there, to Marty McCauley and now to Josh. You know, they won conference. Maddie Camus from Kingfisher won the conference title. Uh, and is right now, I believe, still ranked number one in NAIA golf, which obviously is fantastic. And then David Lynn, who obviously has been at Oklahoma Christian forever. I stepped in there for two years and, and was a, and have been able to keep and develop a great friendship with Coach Lynn. They won conference. He, he, he's won everything. So whatever all the awards are for the coach, he's won them. And I'm so proud of Dave. He's been a great friend to me and supporter of, of my life and what Taylor's done and and so I wanted to give a tip of the cap to them. And also, obviously, the Coach Chibble, my alma mater at OU, um, just marching right along every year. I mean, it's kind of getting to be old hat. And, and they won conference, obviously, at uh, Prairie Dunes week before last. Um, and Drew Goodman, who's a sophomore I met back when he was in eighth grade in Norman, followed his career and have been able to watch him grow up and, and know how serious and how, how hard he's worked to become the player he is as a sophomore and everything that he's done so far in in – college golf i'm not surprised at so thank you for letting me you know tip the cap to some people out there and and hopefully they hear this and and you know and smile because you know i'm proud of them and i know a lot of other people are as well that's beautiful stuff as and i'll 100 percent vouch for the uh the coach lynn uh sentiment because he's, he's one of the best coaches around and an even better individual and he's definitely a busy man now being the uh, head golf coach and athletic director for oklahoma christian so he has his hands full but uh, if anyone can handle it it is coach lynn and, and on to my question now uh, Paz, is that, uh, you know, when we, Sam mentioned, we first had you on back in like April 2020, pretty much right when COVID happened. I mean, it feels like an absolute millennia ago. And so back then, you know, at TG, he was on the PGA Tour at that point, but obviously wasn't near as accomplished as he is now. So what has it been someone for you who's been around uh, TG really his whole life and to see how much his game and just how much he's matured as a, uh, as a person as well? Well, you know, a great question. And it's, you know, it's a couple of part answer and, and, Speaking of tipping the cap to, you know, for me, it's, I want to say thank you to his parents, um, Amber and Ron, you know, because how I got to on your podcast right now and, and be involved in his life, you know, back to 2002 when we met, you know, I'm a parent now, Taylor's a parent now, and I can look back and, and when we first met, you know, you know, his parents have told me thank you so many times for helping him and mentoring him you know, whatever you want to call it, but I can look back and, and, you know, I tell them thank you because they allowed me to be in his life at a young age. You know, I was just out of college at OU and now being a parent, I can appreciate meeting somebody and then allowing them to be in your, your child's life, whether it be sport or school or whatever it may be, you know, and so, 
you know, they've, they've, they allowed me to do that back in 2002 and 20 years, you know, 21 years later, we're here, you know, I'm able to, to have my dream job and helping him, you know, which helps the foundation and follow his career. You know, he's living his, his dream job playing professional golf. And so, you know, I thank you to his parents, you know, there's no words, but that's all I can say. Um, and so them allowing me to do that, you know, got me to 2020, the question you're asking until now, but you know, it's such a process, um, because of social media and the way the world works now with instant gratification and, and the highlight reel, as I call it, you know, on the social platforms, you know, no one sees, not many people see the actual work and the sacrifice that goes into something, you know, um, even back when he got to the tour, you know, and hadn't won and hadn't accomplished what he has now, you know, there was, he was still putting in the work. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, like he just showed up and, Hey, I think I'm going to do well, or I'm going to, I'm going to play well and keep my tour card. You know, he was putting in the work and there he's tweaked his process. He's tweaked his steps, you know, um, and added some people to his team that, that have, that have obviously been great additions and, and helped that process. Um, but I can't tell you enough of the sacrifice and work that, that takes place. You know, a guy asked me the other day and he said, Oh, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to win X amount of millions of dollars in six rounds. And I said, wait a minute. You know, I said, and my friend is smart enough to know. I said, you know, this is 25 years of, of sacrifice and hard work to have a week like this, let alone two weeks. You just don't show up and Sam, you know, Taylor, you know, you're a golfer. Um, you know, it, it takes so much frustration sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears, close calls, you know, his, his, this great play has been brewing for about a year, year and a half. Um, you know, he's had, as, as you guys know, you guys follow it, three or four chances to win, played well in, in a couple, three or four different majors over the last year. And so to say, hey, I'm not surprised he won two in a row, you know, how often does somebody win two in a row? But the great play, I'm not surprised at at all because he's put in the work uh, and the sacrifice to, to do so. And so here we are. You know, Kelsey, it's Woody. And what you just said there is so profound because until you've really worked at it, until you've tried to be at that level, I don't think people even have a clue how much work goes into it. But yeah. I'm going yeah. I'm I'm, I'm to say way to go, buddy. But I'm I, here's a curious question for you because you've, you've done so much and uh, you've been a coach. You've watched, you've tried to, tried to, you know, get these kids to the highest level you can. You, you did a lot of great work with Sam Bradford. Now you've got Taylor. Here's an interesting question for me, and it's more for me. Our listeners, I hope, will want to hear it. But sure, what's the difference between Sam and Taylor? Both were high-end professional athletes. One was football, one was golf. Totally different game, I understand. But what are the traits you see in both of them, and how are they different? Okay, so the traits that I see in both of them, one, they're, they're obviously blessed with some God-given talent and physical tools that, you know, Woody, you've, you've been around longer than all of us and, and, and played better than all of us, so you know both sides of this. Um, you know, because you have the physical tools, that's, that's great, and, and there's a lot of guys that are blessed with that, but what we all know is talent takes you so far, you know. Um, and so hard work, you know, and, and having an understanding of I've been blessed with this ability and I have a platform to play this sport and Sam was the same way. But at the same time, you don't think that you're a big deal. You don't think you deserve anything. You don't expect that everybody knows your first name. 
you know, one thing with Sam that I can always remember and will is that, you know, when we were in Norman or St. Louis or wherever it would have been, you know, Sam would introduce himself and, and people would always say, well, yeah, I know who you are. But Sam never expected someone to know who he was because he played the sport. And so if you start with that and that trickles down into your work ethic and the things that people don't see, you know, I'm a quote guy. Um, you know, there's a quote that I love that says, it's the things that people don't see that produce the results that everybody wants. And so, you know, Taylor and Sam both have been willing to, to put the work in uh, and, and sacrifice, as you know, Woody, everybody that's out there on tour has sacrificed X amount of time and X amount of not going on this vacation or that vacation or whatever it may be to be able to put the work in. But like I said, you know, Sam, unfortunately with injuries, you know, his career, you know, didn't, didn't maybe get to where a lot of people thought he had a great career. You know, he's, he, 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 he affected a lot of people in a positive manner. Obviously Taylor's a little bit younger and still in the, what we would call prime of his career. But at the same time, you know, it's an understanding of what you're doing, you know, how it can affect other people. And the fact that if you don't continue to work hard, you know, your, your ceilings, you're going to hit your ceiling, but if you continue to work hard, you know, who knows? And so in the golf world, switching back over to Taylor, everybody on this, you know, on this podcast right now understands that, you know, talent gets you so far, but if you don't put the work in, you're going to hit your ceiling and other guys are going to blow right past you. You know, the way golf looks, it's funny. I took a friend of mine from St. Louis who's now 67. I met him in my time over there with Sam, one of my best friends in the world. Now we talk every day and he was a golfer growing up through high school, I actually beat Payne Stewart in the state championship his senior year by shot in 1972 over in Missouri. So that's his golf claim to fame, my buddy Pete. But I took him to a tour event in Vegas three years ago, maybe four, and he couldn't believe it. What did he look? He's looking at the putty green. We're out there, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, and he turns to me. He said, "Golf didn't look like this when I grew up." You know, he's like, "Look at these guys." And as we all know on here, you know what you see the golf course and the range and all the videos and all the social media, the gym and the physical therapy and taking care of their bodies and the way these guys look. It's night and day from we'll call it 20 years ago. And we all know Tiger's probably the main reason for that to let guys know, Hey, you know, I mean business. So you guys better, better do something different or, you know, he beat everybody anyway, but he probably would have beat him worse if you know what I'm saying. So in the end, there's no substitute for the work. Any, any young person that, that asks me about that, I tell them, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no doubt about it. Great stuff there, Kelsey. Um, you know, I got to ask one tough question and then we can get back to the fun stuff. But I am curious as someone who is as close to TG as you are. And obviously we talked to him last week and he was hoping to get into the U.S. Open. The news broke last night that he will not be in the U.S. Open under the previous criteria that was changed. Um and Mike Wan ended up saying, quote, I hope Gooch gets in, but we're not going to change our criteria. I'm not concerned about the quality of the field at the U.S. Open. I was just curious maybe if you've talked to Taylor, how he's handling that, and, and uh, maybe a, what your couple thoughts are on that whole situation. Well, um, great question. One, for, you know, for Taylor's side, you know, obviously we've got a big week coming up in Tulsa. I know he's focused on that, obviously, from our foundation stuff at the start of the week that we'll do. Um, Sunday and Monday and then trying to three-peat in Tulsa. So I haven't asked him about it. You know, I pick my spots on those kinds of things by design. And so I can't speak to, you know, his frame of mind on it. Obviously, any athlete would be disappointed if you, you know, if you didn't get into something you felt like you should or, 
quote unquote qualified for. But, you know, my thought on it is I try not to read a lot of stuff, but the head scratcher for me is, and I had a, a friend at a Texas call me this morning about it. And I said, what I don't get, or, or the only thing I would ask is the masters in the British open recognize that category uh, from the tour championship. And, and he, he was in the masters and he'll be in the British open. It's just a head scratcher while the USGA wouldn't do the same thing. You know, the tour championship, top 30 guys, those 30 guys getting all the majors, obviously, so the, the field is the best field possible. You exclude one guy from that. The other majors didn't. It's just a head-scratcher. I don't, I don't really understand it. You know, no one cares about my opinion, you know, from that level of, of uh, decision-making, but it's just a head-scratcher for me on that, that side of things. It definitely is, because there's no doubt about that. And you, you, you kind of mentioned earlier talking about the, the foundation and all that stuff. And I'm just curious, from your side of being the executive uh, directors, talk to us about how the foundation got started. I mean, you guys are doing such great work. I mean, donating to the uh, Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour. Um, there's an AJGA coming up at Gallardia that you guys uh, have a big part in. So just uh, just kind of elaborate on how it all got started and exactly what the vision is going forward. Great. So how it got started, and it's something I told Taylor, you know, way back, that if you ever do anything that's going to help you know, kids and, and people in need, I'll help you. I don't care if it's full-time, part-time, no-time, half-time, you count me in. So in 2021, in the fall, when he won the RSM Classic, they they earmarked uh, a significant amount of money for Taylor to donate to a charity. So I had read about it, and when he came back, you know, we sat and talked and caught up about the week and all the good stuff, and, you know, he brought up the situation. And, and I said, look, you know, number one, you know I'll help you. But if you're asking my opinion on what you, you know, what you should do, whether you give the money out or you start a foundation, because at the time he didn't have one, his, his wife, Allie and him did not have one, you know, and he said, well, look, you know, it's a, it's a nice amount of money. It's great that, that, that they're going to do that because I won. But he's like, you know, I think I want to do something here. And I said, well, if my opinion matters, let's do a foundation. Let's do it right. Let's do it long term and, and help as many people as we can something when you're done when you're playing days and making birdies are over with because we know that's his job right now the more birdies he makes the more everything benefits um it's something we can do together you know lord willing for the next you know 50 years um and if not give them have them give the money away to to worthy causes it's a great thing we can talk about it in the future and he said no i want to start a foundation um my wife and i do and i want to bring the money back here to affect you know positively you know causes in oklahoma um, and so here we are, you know, the, the, the groups that we've decided to help or that Allie and Taylor decided to, and, and I was on board is obviously hope is alive, which is a drug and alcohol and sober living program and houses. They have 25 houses in five States. I may mess that up, but they're doing great work. You know, we helped them last year. Positive tomorrow's is a, is a school for homeless kids here in Oklahoma city. We helped them last year buy a new bus to get 53, uh, kids to school obviously the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour which you know is is where what Taylor grew up on um Woody knows I'm too old to have played that I was before that Taylor and and Sam I know you guys did um we were able to sponsor their their fall series and then you know adding on this year as you mentioned uh title sponsor of an AJGA event that'll be at Gallardia Country Club July 24th to the 27th we were going to do it in August Taylor wasn't going to be able to be there the week it was scheduled he wanted to be there uh, at least two or three of the days, which he will. We moved it to late July, like I mentioned, so he could be there because it's important not to just give the money, put your name on it, 
you know, he didn't want to do it that way. He wants to be there to see the kids, to see what the future of golf looks like. We'll do a, a, a panel of different coaches and personalities uh, on Wednesday of that week and working on, working on some other fun things for, for the kids. Um, I want to give a, a tip of the cap to Chad Ford and his family, uh, the Three Bird Foundation, uh, a guy that I met through golf along the way. They came up under us as a presenting sponsor. So I want to say thank you to Chad and his his wife and family for doing that as well. Very involved, loves golf, um, is a fantastic businessman here in the area. So um, the foundation, you know, long term, you know, those are the groups we're focused on right now. You know, whether that changes, that'll be Taylor and Allie's vision and decision. But we want to help kids and those less fortunate, you know, in Oklahoma that, that, that need it. And we're very fortunate to do that. It's something that I've always told Taylor that, you know, you know, the more you're given, the more that gets expected of you. And, you know, if you're not going to give back and, and, and not use the platform that you've been given and that, that you've earned and that you've, you know, that you've created, you know, I think we're missing the point. And, and you know, early on he was very much – uh, in agreement with that, and, and we've been so fortunate for a call it a year and a half now to to be able to help. So thanks for asking about that. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with this. It's not so much questions, the tip of the hat to you, because what I what I got involved in this recently, mostly because of the COVID and everything like that, was I I volunteered to help the Carl Albert golf team, the high school golf oh, team. The coach, the yes. coach called me. And said, you know, would you be willing to do this? And and I thought, why would you want me? And then you start to think, <laughs> well, you you giving back, Kelsey, is so critical. And what I was going to give you a tip of the hat because what people don't understand out there, Taylor Gooch is the name. He is the guy producing the the uh, media attention. But without Kelsey Klein and people like you, these things don't happen. And I love it that kudos, uh, I mean, kudos to Taylor and his wife that they're they're that that young an age are giving back because we don't sure. see it enough. We do not see it enough in our society, and so congratulations to you, buddy. Because I think I think you need to be having a pat on your back because I know how hard you're working. So I'm proud of you, dude. That's all I wanted to say. Well, hey, I, I appreciate that. You know, like I said, it's. It's nice to hear that, but what you know, Woody, and, and you're doing it now with, with, with Carl Albert, you know, as much as hopefully I've blessed Taylor and his path, his wife, his, his daughter, and his family, it's blessed me just the same. You know, to give up your time and your energy and your focus and, and travel miles and caddy and walk and memories and all those things, yes, I've been fortunate to hopefully bless Taylor and his situation, but it's, I, I promise, it's, it may have helped me even more as a person and a young man who was finding my way and my path you know, to into adulthood and, and what the heck am I doing now into, like I said, a, a dream job for me to be able to help somebody I care about so much, help his family, which helps the foundation. And, you know, the team he's built around him, you know, you touched on that with, with professional golf and professional sports, you know, there's, there's an extended team and, you know, something Taylor's done, I'm going to probably say as good as anybody in professional sports that, that I've read about, known, watched, um, heard about the team that he's built around him, um, in my opinion, is as, as good as there is. You know, Boyd Summerhays now is his, his swing coach for the last couple of years, was a friend of mine from college, uh, has got kids in college that are, that are fantastic, and Boyd is a, you know, an individual that's, that's a first-class human. You know, his, his resume as a, as a coach 
uh, our swing coach uh, speaks for itself. Sunday, he, Taylor got a win and Tony Finau got a win, you know, his two players. So, Woody, I don't know if a coach has ever had two players win the same day. Um, you know, you guys, you, you guys, you know, I know study the history. You guys can go back and look, but, you know, he's had so much help Or three the wins in the same yeah. week there, Kelsey. I, I, you right, got to count right, the first right, TG right. win as well. <laughs> hey, hey, you, you keep stacking on the good stuff. You know, Steve Ball and Taylor, you know, we all know Steve Ball. He helped Taylor so much from a young age, you know, up until a couple of years ago and, and, and how things work. You know, Taylor wanted to make a switch and, and Steve's so supportive of that and Taylor's career. And Steve's doing some great things that, you know, at, at their range here and all the, all the young people he helps. He helps Drew Goodman at OU, who's a sophomore, who we all know the name, but he's coming. He's got a chance. We all know that. We've seen it. And, you know, and Steve's such an integral part of what Taylor's done to get him, you know, to that point. And then, you know, guys around him. And so, you know, his caddy, Mal Baker, you know, we don't have enough time for me to talk about Mal and talk about caddies and, and the situation at hand because I've done that a little bit, so I have a different view. Woody, I'm sure maybe you have in your day, too, of – of some guys that, that, that you've met known throughout, but caddying is, is not as, as glorious or as, you know, I don't know what the right word is, as a lot of people think it's hard work and those guys sacrifice a lot. And, you know, obviously would live in, in the situation that Taylor's playing on. I'm going to probably say his caddy's happy. They made the switch to keep it short. Um, <laughs> no but doubt. so many people like you, <laughs> so many people, you know, would he go into helping? And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be a part of that for Taylor and that his parents, you know, back in 2002 said, you know, we're going to allow this this young man, I was 24 at the time, to be involved with our son. You know, you know, I, I think it was, you know, the good Lord's will for us to, to have this path. But at, at the same time, if, you know, if they hadn't have taken that leap of faith, maybe with me back as a young man, you know, we wouldn't be talking. And I've been so blessed because of that. I tell his mom all the time that, you know, I've been repaid 10 times over and maybe more more so of the blessing of being able to do this because I love it. I love all the facets of it. I love watching the progress. Obviously the foundation is, is very much a focus of mine. And, you know, I'm going to steal another quote from coach John Calipari, one of my favorites, all my buddies listening. If they are, they're going to laugh because I, I send this text out all the time, but you know, one of his quotes at his hall of fame speech for basketball was um, by creating relationships with others and chasing their dreams and aspirations with them, you become a dream fulfiller. And what's better than that? So that sums it all up right there. Tip of the hat to Coach Cal at Kentucky. Some love him, some hate him, but that quote stuck with me for years, and so I wanted to share that. Yeah, that's big-time stuff. And, Kelsey, thank you for your time today. The last thing I have before you get out of here, last week when we talked to TG, mentioned uh, that they're doing uh, a Taylor Gooch Foundation uh, tent. Is that what it is? Uh, give me the specifics is my question of the uh, what the Taylor Gooch Foundation is doing out at the Live Tulsa event uh, and how people can go check that out if they're up there at the tournament at Cedar Ridge. Great. So, yeah, great question. We're going to have a, a, a TGF hospitality suite on 16 green for all the Tulsa residents that have played the golf course. They're flipping the nines for the tournament. So it would be in everybody else's head, what, seven green, but 16 green for the tournament. We'll have a hospitality suite, uh, covered air conditioning, bathroom, uh, food, drinks, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, corporate tent type setup. But, you know, we're doing it the foundation is doing it. We want to say thank you to live. Thank you to Tulsa. Thank you for everybody who supported us. Uh, tickets all available for sale. I think the easiest way would be look at Taylor's social. 
um, the, the link on some of his, on some of his social, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, his social media stuff, the link, the private ticket link is on there. We'd love to see you in Tulsa and we appreciate the support. Hey, Kelsey, couldn't be more appreciative of your time, my friend. You're one of the best individuals out there. We definitely go uh, way back and uh, you're definitely not a, a bad player yourself. So hopefully you can get out there and keep playing some good golf. Before we let you go, just let everyone know how they can help out with the Taylor Gooch Foundation if they so choose. We appreciate that. You know, our website, you know, if it, if it fits in your giving budget, uh, taylorgoochfoundation.org is our website. There's a donate uh, page and then button. You can do it, you know, through PayPal or through credit card there. Um, that That's the easiest way, you know, volunteer-wise. We're set for this year, but in the future, you know, as we as we grow and do more things, you know, to get involved, you can email also in from the website. You know, there's a, there's a contact button or page. And you can also email in as well there, and I'll reply to that as soon as possible. Well, that, Kel- that's TaylorGoochFoundation.org, right, right, Kelsey? Yes, sir. And, and remember, there's no Y in Taylor. So it's Taylor without a Y because a lot of people do that. And I never get the emails, but TaylorGoochFoundation.org. Well, Kelsey, thank you for your time today, and uh, hope to see you what and next week. It's it's coming up fast, May 12th through the 14th at Live Tulsa. Kelsey, thanks again. You bet, guys. Thanks for the time. And Woody, thank you for the kind words from a from a, a, a travel veteran that knows the game and knows people and relationships. So thank you. Anytime, buddy. You deserve it. And we are back on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Big thank you again to my former head coach, J.W. Vandenborn, and big congratulations to Josh Robards on getting that individual championship as well as the team championship for the Kansas City Kangaroos. Uh, Guys, let's dive into Quail Hollow and the Wells Fargo, but before we do that, it, it should be noted that no John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler this week in the elevated event at Quail Hollow, but we will see Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy is apparently going to be there, fellas, or is already there, fellas. Well, I mean, we got to wait and see if he actually tees it up, uh, but I'm talking tongue-in-cheek there, guys. But Rory has told Todd Lewis uh, this week that he skipped the RBC Heritage for, quote, mental health-related reasons following his miscut at the Masters. McElroy is not slated to meet the assembled media at Quail Hollow this week to take questions on the matter. Um, T-Dub, here's what I'll say about this, is a lot of people in this world deal with mental health issues. If I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners probably listened to Traber and I show yesterday. We were, uh, you know, hit with something very heavy and, and dealing with a lot of things, mental health with uh, a certain individual that called into Traber's show yesterday. And so I take mental health very seriously. And that situation shook me up a little bit. Uh, so in this situation, T-Dub, to me... To me, I just think there's a difference between getting your feelings hurt that you missed the cut at Augusta National and serious mental health issues. And I hope that Rory is not dealing with serious mental health issues. And I also hope that he's not using the mental health moniker as an excuse to, 
you know, not get any backlash for skipping out on the RBC after everything he said in the media, saying that we need our top players at these elevated events, and then now he's missed two out of the first six elevated events, you know, got docked the $3 million, or quote-unquote docked the $3 million, even though, you know, he's in bed with the PGA Tour on the TGL deal, and that's a whole nother story. Um, But Rory, T-Dub, to me, has kind of done this to himself, putting stress on himself, at least, in the media, being the face of... You know, the PGA Tour live debate and, and being the face of the PGA Tour side, I don't know. This is an interesting one for me. I'll, I'll defer to you on, on what your thoughts are on Rory McIlroy because I know you've dealt with, you know, mental health stuff in the past too, T-Dub. Absolutely, and I feel like that, uh, I mean, I've been to more therapy than almost anyone can account for. I, I don't take any medicine for it anymore, and it's actually been one of the best things I ever did in my life. But at one point, I subscribed more medicine that you could uh, probably kill about 18 horses with. So uh, so if anyone can attest to this, I do believe that I'm well qualified. And I'll say this, is that there are different stages to what people consider mental health issues. There's there's the point of, you may just be depressed. There's, the, there, there's a difference between being depressed in the moment with what's going on and being literally clinically depressed and your body cannot produce the chemicals needed to feel a certain way. And is Rory dealing with that? I do not know. I, I'm not going to try to analyze if that is the case or not. I will say that it, I do feel like it has become a trend in sports just from what you see. I mean, if a player saying that they have mental health stuff, that's the reason that they don't want to play and can't play. Um, I played a majority of my college golf dealing with it, so I know that you may not perform at the highest level, but you will definitely can perform um, if, you, if you put your mind to it. So um, it, it, what is Rory exactly dealing with? I'm not sure. Um, you don't necessarily hear about this stuff whenever he's out what it, when, at the beginning of this year, right, when he won uh, three times in a span of, of four months or whatever it was. So it's just interesting that it comes about. And one thing I've learned through it all, guys, is that most of the time whenever you feel depressed is because something in your life is not going right. Not necessarily the fact that you literally can't produce the chemicals needed, as I was alluding to earlier. So, Woody, I think it's just a combination of one of the things I talked about a couple uh, months ago in particular is that I think a lot of things Rory has been saying to the media, he didn't fully believe. And I think that that has been eating in his conscience. And I think that's something that's going to him. And it's, it's led into his golf game. And he put so much pressure on his golf, which is something I know that I've done before too. And it can definitely beat you down. So is he actually dealing with what some people call clinical depression? I'm not 100% sure. But I think that if I had to say what was going on, I'd say that things in his life aren't going the way that they should. So he feels down about it. That, that's how I view the situation with when we when we think of mental health issues, I'm big on trying to get everybody we can fixed. Uh, I, just like all the mass shootings and things like that that we deal with in our country, that to me is a mental health issue. We've got issues in this country that we definitely we don't want to sugarcoat any of this. But I'm kind of like you, Sam. Really, Rory? I mean, it's golf. Okay, it, it's not life and death. And and for you, oh gosh, I'm I, boy. We got to walk a fine line here. But for him to make that up is a maybe a, one of the reasons he's not playing good. I don't know, gentlemen. That 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 just uh, doesn't sit well with me. That's just me personally. And 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 real quick, I just want to throw this out there: a majority of people who are d- depressed or feel like they're depressed. It's literally because their life is so shit that they don't know how to get out of it. I mean, you may have, they may have had a family member die. They may have cancer. They may, uh, no one will listen to them. They have no friends. I mean, these are things that, that really happen. And so a lot of people's lives just need to improve in that aspect. And 
I don't. Rory's definitely not in a situation like that. I mean, he has people who love him. He has millions of followers on Instagram. He has many. I mean, he has his haters for sure. There's no doubt about that. But he has plenty of people that love him. He has uh, what seems to be a good family life. Maybe that's not the case. I'm not sure. But at least from what it seems on the surface is that the majority of people who deal with extremely extreme circumstances like this is because their life is so out of whack. And I do not believe Rory in, in his life aspect. Like I said, I may be completely wrong. But it does not seem like it's anywhere close to what uh, a lot of majority of people deal with on a regular basis, Sam. I'll just kind of wrap it up, wrap this little part up by saying this. I hope he's telling the truth about having mental health problems because if he's lying about that to kind of save his tracks of skipping out on the RBC and looking horrible over the past three weeks, then that's disgusting to me, right? Because people are actually dealing with that. Um, but if he is dealing with that stuff, I, I'm praying for Rory and I hope that, you know, Rory gets the help he needs. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that, T-Dub? That's pretty much what I got, but I I don't want to speculate. I just, I want to say for anyone out there listening who may feel like they may be dealing with mental health stuff and need someone to talk to, I mean, always be, always be willing to reach out to people. That's one thing that whenever I was at my lowest, I would think that, oh, no one wants to listen to my stupid stuff that's going on in my life. But people, generally majority of people have someone out there that cares about them and can reach out to them. And just the, the power of talking things through can really help things out. So yes, if Rory is dealing with stuff like this, that's what I would encourage him to do is just seek out some counsel, seek out his wife. I mean, his kid, he's obviously not going to talk to his kid about this stuff, but to, you know, seek out some friends, seek out his, his father, his, his parents, and just kind of just talk life out. If that's really the case. And maybe go to, go to a, a psychiatrist and see if there's something you could do. Maybe do, do some, some therapy, some stuff like that. I mean, there's ways that you can battle this. I mean, he's obviously one of the things they say is the best thing to do for, for depression is to, uh, to exercise and to work out. And I know that he's, Definitely doing that for his golf. So uh, maybe if he stopped doing that for whatever reason, pick up the, the fitness a little bit more. But, uh, you know, th- there are ways that he can come back from this if that is the case, Sam. And uh, hopefully if he is dealing with this stuff, that he does get the help that he needs. Because I-, I can vouch that it is not a very fun road whatsoever. No doubt. Um, but the good news is, guys, is he will be in the field this week at Quail Hollow at the Wells Fargo Championship. It is an elevated event this week. Um, really excited to get back into the elevated events. They've been great theater, you know, throughout the, I mean, the beginning of them that at the start of the year at the Tournament of Champions. And then it, it seems like every single time we have one of these elevated events, it's been great great golf and so i'm really excited for it uh t-dub let's dive into the favorites for this week that would be rory mcelroy patrick cantlay cam young tony finau and xander shoffley are your top five favorites for quail hollow uh rory mcelroy t-dub has a 13.1 percent chance to win the golf tournament based on current analytics plus course history plus course fit um i think it's leaning a lot towards uh you know prior course history and course fit than it is current play with rory t-dub but he like i said has a 13.1 percent chance to win the golf tournament patrick cantley's in second at a 6.9 percent chance to win the golf tournament so the analytics are favoring rory heavily Man, I, I just don't agree with the analytics this week. I, I think you fade Rory this week, T-Dub. Do you disagree? Do I fade Rory? It's, it's, I'm not fading him, but I'm not buying him either, if that makes sense. I'm very, very neutral. I think that for, for his price on DraftKings, comparatively to where it is for other people, I think you may be able to get a little bit 
better value. But at the same time, the analytics are pretty high on them. We remember, what was it, saying the CJ Cup or whatever? We're like, oh, the analytics are way too high. There's no chance that he's going to – I mean, that's just crazy. And what did he go out and win the damn tournament? So, could be something like that. Maybe he's using all the stuff that's been going on as motivation to uh, to get him a little bit better. And I will say, the thing that really helps him is that, I mean, his game just fits so perfectly for Quill Hollow. It's absolutely a bomber's paradise. It's actually one of the more friendly – uh, courses for bombers out there as well. I mean, really just overall driving in general, but you have to hit the ball far. And this course really don't have to be as great around the greens as you do at some other venues. So, uh, you know, that's maybe something that, that can help Rory a little bit. So I don't know, Woody. I mean, am I, am I buying into Rory? No. Am I selling him? No. I'm just, I'm just very indifferent. I don't think he's going to win the tournament, but I do think he's going to finish top 10, top 15, somewhere around there. T-Dub, I will say this about Rory. It's not just the off-the-course stuff why I'm fading him this week. If you look at his putting stats over the last six events, he's lost a full shot on the greens in four of those events per round, T-Dub, and and it's really the worst he's putted in, what, two years? And and Rory McIlroy is like we saw at the match play. He had a good week putting that week where he you know put the new blade putter into play, but then he goes out to Augusta, uh, and really doesn't do anything very well. And so, T-Dub, to me, I think just based on the golf that I've seen from Rory so far this year, I was favoring him to win at Augusta National, and that was just a pathetic performance. And then I don't really know what to expect out of Rory, but the one trend that I do see is that the putting, whether he says that he found something with that blade putter or not, I got to see it to believe it. I, I agree with that. I mean, his putting over the like this pass really going all the way back to the, to the Phoenix Open has been just absolutely atrocious. I mean, as you mentioned, he did gain some strokes at the match play in the Arnold Palmer, but but other than that, I mean, the time, his best performance after that has been he's lost almost a full shot on the green. So, I mean, not only has the putter been just a little off, it's been absolutely atrocious. And then two of the last three events, he's lost more than a shot around the greens, which, I mean, we even saw it at the Players' Championship that he was even worse than the Masters and how bad it was. And he had his irons really bad at the Masters as well. So, one shining light, though, Sam, is that in his history at this course, he's played here, I don't know, upwards of 10 times or so. And he's gained strokes, gained on the greens, I believe, six of those, maybe seven. So it's uh, he, he's got a little bit uh, of silver lining. And really up until about February this year, he had been putting the best that he ever had in his entire life. He was actually one of the best putters on the PGA Tour up until the last few months. So can he get it back? I, I do think so. But, but what he's spot on. I mean, if any other player comes out and says they have mental health problems, going into it, especially in an elevated event like this with so many great players, it's hard to look at them and say they're going to win this tournament. But I, I do think Rory is motivated and his game just fits his course so well that um, I think it, I think he can only have so much failure because besides a missed cut back in uh, 2011, this tournament, his worst finish on this course is 22nd. He has three wins here as well with numerous other top 10. So he, he's going to be there. He'll be in the hunt for a little bit, but uh, I just think he has too much going on to win the tournament, at least in my opinion. Guys, let's get to a couple other uh, big names here. You got guys like Patrick Cantlay, who have been playing great golf recently. Cam Young has been up and down. Out of these two guys, which one do you like, T-Dub? To me, I would go more with Cam Young this week at Quail Hollow. 
The putter is very streaky with Cam Young. In his last 10 events, he's lost strokes on the greens, five of those events. Um, but then other events like the Masters and the and the match play, he putts great. Um, maybe he can he can be a little more comfortable than Patrick Cantlay this week, T-Dub, because, yes, he's been playing great golf, but has only played at Quail Hollow one time and missed the cut in this tournament. So I, I don't necessarily love the prior course history for Cantlay. I mean, the thing with Cantlay you have to look at is he does have a new caddy on the back, Joe LaCava. And we saw with, with what happened with Cam Young at the WC match play, and I finished in second to Sam Burns. But, uh, you know, I mean, he, he showed some good stuff, and I think that Cantlay will have something similar. So I will go a little bit higher on probably Cantlay than you are. He is second. Analytically, I am really high on Cam Young. Um, last year, they did play at TPC uh, Potomac because the President's Cup was at uh, Quail Hollow, so he's actually never played this course in competitive tournament, but uh, does have some good feelings this time of year. And as we saw last year, Wells Fargo just a couple weeks for the PGA Championship, and he finished second at uh, Potomac, and then he finished third at, at the PGA. So maybe there's something about, about the month of May that, that roots for him really well. So I don't know, uh, Woody, out of those guys, I'm pretty high on Cam Young. I'm just waiting for him to break out because I know it's coming sooner rather than later. That's fact, and, and we know it is coming sooner rather than later. And we got to realize too, the PGA Championship's not far off. So these guys are getting into a into that kind of major mode, and with an elevated event, I think Cantley. I don't know, guys. I think Cantley with Joe Lacava coming on his bag is going to be a big difference for him. I really do. So I'm going to kind of not like Sam. I'm not going to. Fade Cantley. I think Cantley's going to have a good week. Guys, what about these other three guys in the top six favorites? You got Tony Finau coming off a win, Xander Shoffley, and Justin Thomas. And obviously, Justin Thomas won a major on this golf course. So, out of those three guys, I mean, I think you got to go with Finau. But do you think that Xander will start playing some elite golf? It took Xander last year to kind of, you know, get through about half the year until he started playing some really great golf at the end, you know, later half of last year t-dub um and then justin thomas to me i just don't think he's putting good enough to win a golf tournament like this with this kind of field you know so far this year kind of like rory i gotta see it to believe it um so out of those three guys i mean i know i'm going chalk but i'm going female and female has, has been showing the form at least as of last week as well it's just always hard to um to think that someone will win uh back-to-back weeks i mean tg made it look so easy but it's usually something that that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, I'm pretty high on, on JT this week. I think he's going to finally start coming around. He did win the the PJ Championship here back in 2017, so that's some good feelings. At Quill Hollow has played this course five times, has made the cut four out of those five. So uh, I, I definitely have some good feeling here. He, he's gained shots off the tee and approach every time he's played this course. So it definitely suits to my but but you are right, Sam, about about Justin Thomas's putting. His last four four tournaments, he's lost strokes getting on the greens, and it's been by a decent amount in there. We uh, we all know how he missed the cut at the Masters, having to uh, play the group behind Tiger in those miserable conditions. Bogey, how many ever holes coming in to miss by one? So that's a little bit of a little bit of a fluky deal there. But uh, even a 60th place finish, the players lost over a full shot putting there. Um, finished 10th at the Valsport, 25th at RBC Heritage. So he just just hasn't ever hasn't really contended in a tournament, really going all the way back to uh, the Phoenix Open where he finished fourth. And even there, he kind of backdoored it. So it's kind of been a while since JT's been in contention. And I don't know, just for whatever reason, I think that trend's going to break this week. I don't necessarily think he'll win the tournament, but I do think he'll he'll have a good finish. Um, I, I, if I had to pick who will finish him or higher, or who will finish higher, JT or Rory, I'd actually pick JT in, in that bet. 
you know, this is what's the toughest thing when you when you gave those three names out. Uh, JT has struggled with his putting, so if you don't putt good, you're probably not going to play very good on the PJ Tour. But guys, it's kind of like we're saying, always want to see if he can get to the LA North Country Club and look through on the 14th hole Playboy Mansion. You give me those three names, it's like looking through there in that fence and being able to see the pool and there's three beautiful women in bikinis and you got to pick one. Come on, guys. This is brutal. Yeah, how do you pick? <laughs> of yeah, those like... three, you know what I mean? Yeah, Miss America, Miss World, or Miss USA. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Holy cow. They're all they're all such great players. These, these elevated events are like majors now, guys. I don't know how we pick one of those guys over the other. I would fade JT because he hadn't been putting, but that's just by the time we start fading somebody, guess what they do? Boom. Right. No, that's exactly right. And I mean, we're not even mentioning guys like Victor Hovland or Jordan Spieth or Sung JM, Colin Morikawa, <laughs> Jason Day. By the way, the analytics this week, T Dub, are very high on Ricky Fowler to have a good week. He's won here at Quail Hollow before. Yeah. Um, do you think that Ricky Fowler possibly breaks through uh, for the first time in a long time? Is he going to break through and win the tournament? No. I mean, come on. I mean, I, it's one of those, like you were saying, you have to see it to believe it and know that there's no way that he's going to break through this week in this tournament. He does have a good record on this course. Did beat Rory in the playoff back in uh, 2012 at this tournament to, to really get what was a very monumental win for him. Back then, the time finished fifth here at the uh, 2017 PGA Championship and has a couple other uh, fourth finishes in there as well. So he definitely loves him to call hollow. I think that he is going to have a solid week, but uh, I mean, come on, Woody. No, he's not going to break through this week. No, he, he's got a lot, but more climbing to do before that'll happen. Yeah, yeah. To call him breaking through at a you know an elevated event, that would be kind of a miracle. But golf's a funny game. I, I don't know. Would I pick him? No. But if he wins, would that be the shock of all shocks? Yeah, no, not really to me because he has been showing some really good form and. When they do catch that heater, which we never know when it's coming, and when they do, it's all of a sudden, bam. Do you think, well, how do he do that? Well, it's because he's got his name on his bag, and he's probably a pretty good little golfer. Guys, I'll tell you this. I am going a little bit off the radar with my pick to win the golf tournament this week. I'm going with Keegan Bradley, guys, to win the golf tournament this week because – in his last five events at the RBC, he putted and, and chipped great and hit the ball great off the tee. Didn't have a good week with the irons. Or at Augusta National, you know, he putted and chipped great, hit it decent off the tee, and didn't hit it very good with his irons. Now, then you lead into the previous seven tournaments before that where he was hitting his irons great. He had a bad putting week at the match play, or he had a bad chipping week at the players, and he had you know, a, a bad putting week at the Genesis. It just seems like he's doing a lot of great things, and it just all hasn't clicked on the same week. I think that it clicks this week. Like T-Dub said, it, he did finish second in this tournament last year. Now, it was at TPC Potomac, but I just feel like for some reason, Keegan Bradley is going to win this golf tournament. I know I'm probably off my rocker, T-Dub, but I, I just have a feeling that everything's going to click for him. He's showing me great form, especially off the tee and around the greens. In most of these tournaments, it's just a matter of whether everything clicks in the same week. Yes, yes, very, very true on that. Yeah, and it does seem like he does is showing a little bit uh, of decent form. Did have the second all the way back at the Farmers Insurance Open. 
but but with his only finish or his best finish here being a, a T18, and then his next best finish was a T33 at the PGA Championship. I, I don't know. I, I do think he's a solid pick to, to at least make the cut. But I will say this too, Sam. You've been on a one hell of a heater. So, well, I mean, who am I to question your decision-making at this point? One guy, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily pick him to win the tournament just because it's so wide open. But my one-and-done pick this week going a little bit kind of off the radar with Sam, not many people talking about him. I'm going with Sahiti Gala. I mean, he has been playing some very, very solid, solid golf. He's not missed a cut going all the way back to the Sanderson Farms Championship back in October. So just absolutely rock steady. He's been absolutely crushing it off of the tee box. He's getting shots off the tee uh, going all the way back to the last time he didn't actually was at the Genesis in February. So he's been striping the driver well, which is exactly what you need at this course, Woody. So give me a little bit of Sahiti Gala, who quietly is 24th in official world golf rankings, which is absolute joke. No one cares about that system. But he is 23rd ranked player analytically, so that does say something as well. So uh, only 25 years old, starting to find his form. Give me a little bit of Sahiti Gala to have a, a, a maybe not necessarily a, a win, but a breakthrough performance, kind of similar to what he had at Waste Management last year. Pretty cool how you guys are going off that radar a little bit. And again, it's an elevated bent. It's hard, hard to pick. I'm, I'm going to go right on the radar. I'm going to say Cantley. I, I think I think this Joe Lacava combination with him I think it's gonna it's gonna make Cantley probably that guy you keep thinking when's the next guy to win a major, when's the next guy to do this. I think is gonna make the difference for Cantley, so I'm gonna go right out of the box first week. I think he's gonna win. One of the other guys, last guys that I want to talk about is Jason Day. I think that Jason Day could have a really solid week here uh, this week. He's been one of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour. Hasn't lost shots on the green since the RSM Classic. Uh, Really consistent putting for Jason Day uh, throughout 2023. And he has one here at the Wells Fargo back in 2018. Maybe Jason Day comes back and, and really shows that number one player in the world form for one week, uh, T-Dub. I think that that's a solid pick this week as well. Unfortunately, I've already used him in the one-and-done, so I'm going with Keegan Bradley in the one-and-done, but if I did have Jason Day eligible to pick in the one-and-done, I would pick Jason Day this week. He's definitely trending in the right direction. He's 14th player ranked analytically, and as you mentioned, his putting has just been absolutely superb, and he's actually gaining shots uh, approach the green as well, going all the way back to the last time he didn't was the Farmers Insurance Open in January. So he's in his irons really good as well, too. Seems like him and uh, the stuff that uh, Chris Cuomo, his swing coach, have been able to uh, to kind of work on some a little bit at Augusta and some of the things they were talking about. It definitely makes sense, but uh, I think Jason Day's go- best golf as long as he can stay healthy. And maybe not his best golf comparatively back to 2015, but I do think he'll keep on playing a little bit better and he'll be a, a top 10 player uh, again just because he's that talented. He's so good on the greens, and his swing's working, that's exactly right. And he has such a great record at Quill Hall as, as well. Didn't miss his last cut there, but before that had made his five previous cuts, and his worst finish in there was a 24th, and then that win in 2018, as you mentioned. So I, I don't know, what he. I'm pretty high on Jason Day as well. I think he's going to have a good week, and I think as long as that back stays healthy, he's going to keep on going in the right direction. I think so, too. Uh, you know, the guy we didn't even talk about is Max Homa, and, and that's the problem with these elevated events, guys. There's there's 25 or 30 guys or more that we could easily say, you know, depending on the week these guys could win. Jason Day falls right in that group to me. He's played some really good golf this year. He seems like he's got his head on back where it wants to be. So uh, 
I think come Sunday, uh, whether we pitch again and got it right, who knows. But all these guys we're talking about, any one of them can win this golf tournament. Yeah, you definitely have to think about Max Homa. The reason why I don't love him this week, T-Dub, I mean, he's won here twice. But the thing is, is since the Arnold Palmer, he's lost or been even strokes gained in five of those tournaments, T-Dub, on the greens. And so he hasn't been putting very well at all recently. He's missed his last two cuts now. The one was the Zurich, uh, which was the team event, but then missed the cut at the RBC after he finished 43rd at Augusta National. So it's not necessarily the same heater that we saw Max Homa on earlier on in the season. He's kind of cooled off a little bit. He definitely has. Yeah, he got out of of California is what it was. And uh, (laughs) no, he was just playing... Exceptionally well, even even down in the Florida swing. I mean, he went 14th, 6th, and then finished. Uh, made the, the match play through, but actually really didn't play that good in the group stage, but got through. But, yeah, his last three tournaments have not been there as well. And, yes, he is the defending champion, but it was not played at this golf course. It's three times he's played at Quail Hollow. He won in 2019, but other than that, he finished 76th in 2015 and then missed the cut in 2021. So, yeah, I, I'm fading Max Homa. I, I will be looking for him once they go back to, to California when they play L.A. Country Club. But until he gets there, Woody, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit fadish on Max Homa, unfortunately. Yeah, I, like I said, next year will change a lot, guys, when there's uh, these elevated events have a much smaller field. It'll still be tough to pick somebody, a winner out of it. But with these fields that you got now, it, it, it's a crapshoot, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt about it. And speaking of that, I mean, guys like Austin Ekro, Kevin Twayer in the golf tournament. Uh, you even got guys like Pearson Cootie in the golf tournament. I mean, you could go on down the list. There's a lot of names that people don't think about being in these elevated events, like a Lucas Glover, uh, you know, down the, down the way here. I mean, you got guys like Zach Johnson. I mean, a lot of different names, you know, lower down the PGA Tour money list names, T-Dub, this week in this elevated event really even compared to some of the other elevated events that we've seen. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I do, even though you you say those names and a lot of people won't get so excited about a lot of them, but, but for me, I'm like, I would much rather those guys have an opportunity to play in the tournament than what's going to happen next year where, where they where they have to play other tournaments just to even qualify in there. No, I, I think agree. it's going to be an, absol- an absolute shame that some of these guys aren't going to have their opportunity to play on the course. And the reason for it, we all know the reason, is for money to make sure those top players are happy. But, uh, you know, while it's here, I, I'm going to – relishing and hopefully what i hope is helpful is that maybe some of these guys down there not many people are talking about sort of what nick taylor almost did at the waste management phoenix open i think one of these guys can go out and win one of these elevated events maybe it can happen a couple of times maybe it'll open up the eyes to people and say you know what there's so many great players in this game right now we these limited field things are, are is not going to be a very good solution going forward and um if those lower guys down the list can play, Woody, I do think that that may be the case, and maybe there won't be as many limited field no-cut events as they're at least talking about now. That's a great point. Worst-case scenario, these guys are getting in these elevator events this year. Boy, make hay while you can, because that's the only chance you've got to get in next year to those elevator events. You need to make hay. If you're one of these, what you guys, what we call a fringe player that might not be in those elevator events next year, Boy, you reach out and grab them while you get the chance. That way you can guarantee you'll be in them next year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Also, Max McGreevy in the golf tournament this week at Quail Hollow. T-Dub, any final thoughts on this elevated event? Wells Fargo coming up at Quail Hollow this coming weekend. Well, I'll tell you what. Quail Hollow is on the short list of best courses 
that, that they play on the, on the PGA Tour on a regular basis. I just absolutely love it. And, and what we saw last year at the uh, the President's Cup was just an absolute shame when they when they changed the, the whole layout of, of the Green Mile, one of the, the greatest finishing three holes in the in the game of golf, and they decided to, to change that. I thought it was an absolute crime, as long as all those things happened at the President's Cup. So hopefully we'll get uh, Quo Hollow back in its entirety of what it should be, because I mean, I don't know about you, Woody, but uh, Quo Hollow, I just love looking at it. It's beautiful, and I think it's a great test of golf because you have to you have to get some marvelous golf shots to get around there. You're going to shoot 90. You're right. It is, it's one of my top five golf courses to watch on TV. It's beautiful. I, you know what I find, though, guys? This is going to almost be sad. I don't even – I just want this week to get over so we can get to Cedar Ridge. I can't wait to go up there and watch this live. So <laughs> – I'm really not even interested this week. I'm ready to go on to next week. It's like Christmas morning or the week before Christmas, right, Woody? Uh, but, yeah, I am, I, I'm very excited for this week. I think all the elevated events have been great, great theater for the game of golf. Um, T-Dub, did we miss anything today? We covered a lot. Obviously, Joey LaCava leaving Tiger Woods. We covered Rory McIlroy. And, obviously, our two great guests, Kelsey Klein and my former head coach, J.W. Vandenborn. Did we miss anything else throughout the show? You know, as usual, something probably slipped through the cracks somewhere. But uh, as far as I'm seeing, no, I think we, we covered most of the big things. Really wanted to get to, as you mentioned, the first thing we talked about was Joe LaCava leaving Tigers back. I think that is a monumental story. And unfortunately, I think it sets a very bad tone for the, the future of what Tiger does and his chances of winning uh, any really type of competitive golf tournament, professional golf tournament going forward. So, yeah, a little disheartening on that end, but uh, I do think it's uh, for Joe LaCalva, it's going to end up being a pretty solid move because even though Cantlay will eventually probably get stroked at least once for his slow play on the PGA <laughs> Tour, if this, if this keeps up, it, uh, he'll still make him a, a decent amount of money. So, uh, and, 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 you know, good for Tiger, too, for realizing the situation and saying, hey, man, yeah, you need to go do this. I mean, they're, they're really, really good friends in that aspect. So, yeah, that's, but it's, uh, I mean, just uh, for, for, as soon as I saw that, same as a Tiger fan, it, it just kind of hit me in the heart a little bit because it's almost like the, uh, not the official sign that Tiger's given up, but uh, it's definitely a sign that it's going to take the utmost of miracles for him to win again. Yeah, hey, no, hey Sam, I forgot that. that we we I had to I had to give us one uh, shout out for us because you know last we talked uh, we were going to play in that uh, four person scramble right. for the first team. We should have brought and that up. We, uh, for those people that were that we did, we got nineteen under. It might have been the best. <laughs> It might have been, I'm serious, guys, and all the golf I've played, it might have been the best effort by four guys out there playing on, on a golf course that wasn't real long, but the greens weren't real good. Um, you know what? It was a miracle to me how we could possibly shoot the 19 under, and we did win. So we are now two for two. We're undefeated, Woody. And by the way, the star of the team was the hump man, my dad, Craig Humphreys. Oh making, what, five putts over 20 feet? And the other thing is that helped us out was Woody was playing the, the senior tees. Um, and this course, you know, if, if you're not in Oklahoma, Lincoln East is pretty short. We, we reached, uh, I went back and counted, we reached 10 holes, uh, 10 greens and under regulation, fellas. So when we had my dad's hot putter and even Woody driving two greens and being able to, you know, hit that many greens and under regulation and then to have that security blanket of T-Dub, you know, 
on every single shot, who's just going to hit it right down the middle and hit every single green. Uh, and then, obviously, the putting, having T-Dub and Woody behind, you know, me and my dad definitely, definitely helped our uh, our expectation level when we were on the greens. But it was, it was an awesome day, wasn't it, T-Dub? Oh, it was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, for me and Woody, what did we putt, Woody, like four times all day? I mean, same <laughs> yeah, in the hunt, man. We're just on absolute fire. I mean, it, I mean, just to put it in perspective, Huntman on the first hole has no range balls because you know he had to do his radio show and then he comes in and has to you know, talk to everyone since he's the, the one of the head honchos of the first tee. And so he gets out there, no range balls. We start on a par three, which is literally a, a death sentence usually in, in the scrambles. But Huntman steps it up there. It's at about six feet. And then he's first to putt, with, so walks up and cashes it. And I said, well, I should have <laughs> kept my ass in the cart here. Not done anything. And then Huntman goes out and makes another uh, little – I think I, I think we used uh, one of y'all's drives, and I had a little shot in there about yep. five feet on 11. That's Huntman right. makes that putt. And then on 12, we uh, we didn't hit a very good second shot at all. We're like 25, 30 feet. And Huntman sets up again and cashes it right <laughs> in the heart. And, and, then, and then, Woody, the most exhilarating thing was the finish. I mean – you hitting that drive on, on the number eight, and we're about 50 feet, and Sam just cashes it right in the center. And then on the very last hole, Huffman steps up again, of, of at least a 50-footer. may have been 60 feet. I don't know if you could have had a longer putt on that ninth green, and it went in dead weight. That's the thing about these putts, Woody. They didn't just lip in. They didn't do nothing. They were dead center, dead weight every time. It was amazing. I'm, I'm telling you, what, what it showed me is even the guys behind us that were watching us do all that, they said, now this is one time we'll vouch for you guys. You're not cheating. <laughs> and I'll, I'll even tell our listeners, we not only, we only wouldn't cheat, but Craig, the hump man, not only did he make all those, when we did have to tap one in, he went up and tapped it in. You know, in those scrambles, he hit one up there, you know, six, yeah, six inch putt. He's marking six inches. He, I've watched him. He hit every putt on every green. If we didn't make it, he tapped it in. So there was no pickup. This was the most legitimate 1900 I've ever seen in my life. No so mulligans. For you guys out there, no, playing, no mulligans. Yeah, that's a no thing. mulligans. So those those people out playing in the scramble, if you ever play in one, and somebody shoots 22, 23, 24 under with no mulligans and four people, they cheated. I can no honestly doubt. tell you because they cheated. They Woody, cheat. They cheat. They cheat. Woody, that was as good as we possibly could have played. And we shot nineteen under. If if anyone ever breaks that without PGA tour players or great college players on their team, even then it's tough to make that many putts. I mean, any team that ever shoots over twenty under without mulligans or anything, I don't believe it because fifty one was the absolute lowest we could have shot. Never played one of those when I got done. That I thought to myself, that's as good as we could have possibly done. And it, it was literally that is as good as you could have possibly done because yes, we could have made maybe a one of those putts that was shorter than the fifty footer, but to make them all, that's impossible, gentlemen. You all know this now; it's impossible. Oh, absolutely! And, and and Woody, you mentioned earlier that the guys behind us can vouch for it. I think the guys playing in front of us can vouch too because uh, Sam about killed the group in front of us about six times because he just hit the ball so damn far. <laughs> Sam didn't even give himself credit for those of our listeners that are listening on Lincoln. We played the East Course. Well, for those of guys that have played the East Course, there's a par four number three that is straight up the hill, right? <laughs> Sam only drove it to eight feet and then made the putt himself. Sam made it two <laughs> on number three after he drove the green and made the putt. 
So, so <laughs> 340 <laughs> uphill, Woody. 340 uphill. Yeah, I think the thing you, you could, if you told somebody we did some of the things we did, nobody would believe it. If I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't have believed it. Oh, it was it was an awesome, fun, fun day. Big thank you to the first tee of Oklahoma City and Debbie Martin. If you didn't check out that interview, go to our previous podcast, and it's up there. You can contribute to the first tee if you so choose. Guys, I want to tell everybody to go follow us on social media at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. And then I'm at Sam Humphreys 34 always posting good golf stuff. Uh, T-Dub, give your Twitter handle for everybody again. It is T underscore Williams 101. My Instagram is T Williams underscore 10. Not sure why I was obsessed with the underscores back in 2012, but I was. <laughs> there we go. There we go. And then also listen, rate, and subscribe. Most importantly, hit that subscribe button. It's the follow button on Apple Podcasts. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop new episodes, and you're not going to want to miss any of our great content coming up in the next couple of weeks. Full access to the Live Tulsa event. We got Jimmy Austin twice coming up with the Corn Ferry event and NCAA Regionals coming up out there so a bunch of great local golf stuff in the state of Oklahoma go give our friends golf Oklahoma a follow as well this has been not only Taylor Williams and Jim Woodward this has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf Oklahoma